So glad to be in the house of the Lord in October. Um, so grateful for fall weather and uh, cooler temperatures. Thanking God for low humidity. Uh, just the simple things in life. Um, and I know Stephen was talking about, you know, being crying. And, and if you want to celebrate or you want to, you know, laugh and be very glad, you're allowed to do that too. We, ex- we have a range of emotions you can have here. So, um, but um, we're so grateful to be here. Um, so grateful to be in Newark. God knew for some reason I'd be in Delaware, which I did not. So there you go. There you go. Um, I had been sleeping soundly when I was abruptly awoken by my parents in the middle of the night. My mom and dad had grabbed my four-year-old hands and proceeded to take me to the one bathroom we had in our small apartment in Istanbul. There was a bucket of cold water and a seat beside the bucket. And my mom and dad sat me on the chair and they began to pull up my sleeves and my pant legs. Then they proceeded to pour cold water over my hands and my neck and my feet. I was disoriented and confused by all this and a little mad. One, I didn't like being woken up in the middle of the night. I was soundly asleep. And two, they are pouring cold water over my hands, over my feet, and over my neck. I had no clue what they were doing. Why am I up? And I thought maybe I had done something wrong and this was some kind of punishment. And I just wanted to go back to sleep. I wanted to crawl back into bed with my warm and comfortable sheets and my lovely pillow. But my mom and dad continued to pour cold water over my hands and my feet and my neck for what seemed like an hour. What I had not realized is that I had a very dangerously high fever, and my parents were doing everything they could to bring my temperature back down. I asked my mom later in life, how high was my temperature? She told me my dad and her could only hold my hands for so long before they had to release it because the heat emanating from them was causing a great deal of pain in their hands. They told me, I don't know how high your temperature was, but we knew it was dangerously high. What is considered dangerously high temperature is anything above 104 degrees. What happens to the body at these prolonged temperatures is brain damage, organ failure, and finally, death. Water continued to flow as they put cold water over my hands and my feet and my neck. Once they were done, I looked up to see my parents' faces. Now, my mom is a typical mother, always worried about everything, and eventually everything will lead to my death. Don't do that. You will die. It's funny how we do that now. My dad, I don't know if it was a reaction against my mom or just just my dad, was on the other side of the spectrum, incredibly laid back, and the whole world could fall apart, and it would not face him. This happened 32 years ago, and I still remember both their faces. They were terrified to see me. Both of them were fearful. They both grabbed my hand, moved me back to the corner of my room, put a blanket over me, and they stood back and watched helplessly as their four-year-old boy continued to fight a fever as the disease continued to ravage my body. 
There was no pharmacy to go to. They did not purchase Tylenol or Mortrin. There was no ibuprofen. There was no telemedicine where you could zoom in and get a doctor to help you manage the fever or get treatment. There was no MedExpress. There was no ER. Just two fearful parents alone in a foreign land, away hundreds of miles from any family, hoping and praying their child's fever would break at night. I asked my parents what was going through their mind this frightful night 32 years ago. They told me in their own way, when there is nothing else you can do, and when every avenue that is and was available to you has been done, nothing else you can do but just pray. Or their, their thought is better, better expressed in this familiar idiom, when all else fails, pray. When all else fails, pray. For the next few moments, I want to talk about prayer. When everything else just seems to fall apart and the house is burning, you do what? But you just have nothing else to do but pray. That's what my parents did. They couldn't do anything else. There was no resources. There was no help. All they could do was pray. And here we find ourselves in a very familiar story in John chapter 4, verse 43. This is right after Jesus meets with the women at the well. So the story continues. This is the epilogue, and it just kind of continues. This is part three. So here we go, John 4, 43. After two days, he departed from there to Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. He's going back to Galilee. He's going back to a familiar household. He's going back to where everybody knows who he is. And again, prophets don't have honor in their own home. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him because he had seen, they had seen all things he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. For they themselves had gone to the feast. Now, verse 46, he came to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water into wine. Earlier, Mary begged him to, there was no wine, and he took very dirty, dirty water and made it into wine. And in Capernaum, there was a certain royal official who was, whose son was sick. This royal official, this Gentile official, their son is sick, and I don't know what or how he heard about Jesus, and I don't know what kind of sickness his son had, but Obviously, he had some type of fever, and he had to find Jesus. And he traveled all the way from Capernaum to Galilee to see this Jesus, this rebel this, and his crew of mischief posse, you know, who would, would want to be rabbis. You would not want this group of people to lead anything. I just want to make sure we understand that. The disciples were all messed up. They were like plan E. This was not your first string quarterback. If you were smart and you knew what you were doing, you were automatically a rabbi. These guys were not. But that's the beautiful thing with Jesus, right? He doesn't care what qualifications you have. So he, there was a certain role whose son was sick. Verse 47, when he heard that Jesus had come back from Judah to Galilee, 
he went to him and he begged him to come down and heal his son who was about to die. I guess he's tried all other avenues. He was probably a Roman citizen. He was concerned about his son, his boy, who's sick. And he's just going to do his last desperate act and was going to reach out to Jesus and say, Jesus, I've tried everything else. I just want to know if you could heal my son. He's tried everything else. So Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. This is not a rebuke of the father. This is a rebuke of the crowd that just started to press against him. They're all waiting for a miracle. They just want to show. They got their popcorn out. It's a walking buffet, right? Jesus always feeds them on the credit card. He just feeds everybody. He's just right there, just waiting to feed everybody. So that's why they're all there, the crowd. The crowd is not a disciple. Verse 49. Sir, the official said to him, come down before my child dies. And he begs him, this royal official, this prideful, prideful official, some elected official, some, somebody who, who we, would, we would say, well, they would never do anything like that. This guy is begging Jesus to heal his son. And Jesus told him, go home. Your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and set off for his house because he was at an act of desperation. He tried every other avenue. He tried everything else that was within his control that he could do. And finally, when nothing else seems to work, when nothing else seems to come together, what do you do but you just pray? You just pray. Now, I'm not a great theologian, kind of born from humble beginnings, but why are we waiting and doing everything else but praying? If I read Psalm 63, verse 1 in the KJV version, a Psalm of David, when he was in the wilderness of Judah, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee, for my soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee in dry and thirsty land where there is no water. I will seek you early, not late. Isaiah 55 and 6 says, seek the Lord while he makes himself available. Call him while he is nearby. Why are we not praying? Why isn't prayer the first thing we do? Why are we waiting until we've tried everything else and then say, okay, I guess we just should pray now. I just don't like that statement. When all else fails, just pray. Why are you trying everything else? Why isn't prayer the first thing you do? Why have you not seek him early? Why have you not reached out to him? There is a reason why we don't pursue prayer first. Because you don't think it's all that effective. The reason we have a hard time with prayer, the reason it seems to slip our mind when trouble comes our way is because prayer seems weak. Prayer seems ineffective. Prayer feels wrong like you're wasting your time. Why are you speaking out loud wasting your time when you could do something to fix the problem? Just don't think, just don't waste your time speaking to God. Do something about it. 
the reason we don't like prayer is because ultimately you cannot control prayer. Yes, we can control what we say, but everything goes into the hands of this invisible God and you, my dear brother and sister, are left powerless, useless, helpless, looking foolish and weak. And we look weak in the world's eyes when we do prayer. Prayer just doesn't seem that effective. It's somehow lost its power. It's, we'll pray about it. Oh, yes, we'll just pray about it. And we're like, I don't need prayer. I need you to do something about it. Right? That's how the world sees it. The world doesn't like weakness. The world likes strength. The world doesn't like ill-qualified rabbis. The world likes competent people. The world likes the best of the best. Not Jesus. He says, no, 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 no. See, I want weakness. And that looks awful, right? That's weakness. Why do you want weakness, Lord? Because it is in weakness where my power is made perfect. And the world does influence us. But we have to be weak to be strong. And prayer, you can't control prayer. Once it leaves, you have to wait. And my dear brothers and sisters, we don't like waiting. So funny, we'll read these stories and we're like, see, look, look, they had a resolution. Boom, boom, boom. Look, it took me four minutes to read it. Yeah, it was, it took four decades for something like that to happen. Yes, you read it in four minutes, but slow down. This is like time doesn't really appear in these. I mean, you're going to wait three decades? We got to be, we got to adjust our expectations here. But God does hear our prayers. And when I have exhausted every avenue... When I have done everything that I can do within my control and I'm forced to do something I have been avoiding that is releasing control to trust this invisible God, I am forced to deal with the fact that I do not control my life and I do not have control over my problems and ultimately I have to go through Jesus but because when all else fails, he's still waiting and wondering, when are you going to recognize that you need to invite him into your problems? Prayer is for the weak. Disciples of Jesus are weaklings. They are weak, but they are strong in the Lord. It is through weakness that his power is made, and he is not looking for strength. He's not looking for pedigree. He's not looking for qualifications. He's not looking for education. He's not looking for experience, but he's looking for some people who are ready to experience weakness because his power is made perfect In weakness. And prayer is the ultimate act of weakness. I have given up. All right, God, I've tried. We we, we, we put water on his hands. We put water on his feet. We put water on his neck. We did it for an hour just trying to bring his temperature down, and and it doesn't seem like it's doing anything. And what else are we going to do? We're going to keep him up all night. He needs to sleep. And so what they do is they just put him back, and they say, well, what do we do? What resources do we have? There's nothing else we can do. We've tried everything we could possibly humanly do. So what do you do? You pray. Now, I didn't rebuke my parents and say, well, why didn't you pray at the beginning? 
But isn't that what we do? Crisis happens. We gotta fix it, we gotta fix it, we gotta fix it, we gotta fix it, and we're running, we're running, we're in, we gotta do something, we gotta do something, we gotta do something. And we're running around, running around, we're trying to get everything done, and we're just like running around, running around. People are like looking at us, we, we can fix this. I have control over this. I can do this. I can go ahead and put it together. I can fix it for you. I can put everything back together for you. And Jesus is just waiting on the sidelines saying, put me in, put me in. I'm on the sideline, I'm waiting. Come on, I know what you need. I know the solution. I know how to take care of it. I've been watching since the beginning. Of course I know what you need. Of course I know where you're at, but you gotta invite me in. Just waiting on the sideline. Why would he do that? Because this God likes to be invited. He doesn't push his way in. And he wants to be recognized. That, oh, no, 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 you didn't do this by your hands. This Jesus, he's the one that made the healing. He's the one that restored, not me. Are we seeking him early? Or are we sidelining Jesus? Let me try something. You know what? There's something else I know. Let me try this, and let's see if this will fix it. And Jesus is just saying, I know exactly what you need. I know where you are. I know what thoughts are going through your mind. I know your struggles. I know your most intimate thoughts. And I'm just waiting. Will you invite me in? I will seek you early. I will seek you early. Luke 11, it's the Lord's Prayer. And here we see Jesus. His disciples are asking him. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he stopped, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And so he said to him, to them, when you pray, say, Father, may your name be honored and may your kingdom come. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our sins. So yes, repentance needs to work in our prayers. Also forgive anyone who sins against us. And please do not lead us into temptation. So yes, you need to pray for those who've hurt you. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend. And you go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine has stopped over here while on a journey and I have nothing before him. Then he will reply from inside, don't bother me. The door's already shut. My kids are already sleeping, and I'm in bed. I cannot get you up and give up everything. I mean, give you anything. Verse 8, I tell you, this is Jesus, even though the man inside will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of the first man's sheer persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. 
his sheer persistence. So we don't just pray for something once. We sometimes, we need to pray for something multiple times. Verse 9, so I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks will receive, and the one who seeks will find, and the one who knocks the door will be open. What father among you, if your son asks for a fish, will you give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? And if you then, although you are evil, kind of a rebuke there, golly. Although you are evil, you're all messed up. Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Even the Holy Ghost, the ultimate gift, he will give to you. But the sheer persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. Now, I'm not saying we should be going and praying for a Ferrari, all right? This, that's not the whole point of this message. Now, some people have taken it that way. But we're not going to do that because that's not biblical. It's sheer persistence. It's prayer. This prayer for, for something to happen, something to change. This prayer. And once we give it to Jesus, we just have to sit and wait and see what he does. The ultimate act of weakness and being sidelined. So I'm a, I'm a pretty prideful guy. I'm a, I'm a pretty prideful guy. I, I like to think I have things under control, but I don't. And nothing is more humbling, I won't say humiliating, but humbling than being sidelined and saying, okay, I can't fix this. I'm going to have to sit on the sideline, and I'm going to have to put it in God's hands. And then people will come to you like, well, what are you doing? Why aren't you fixing the problem? I did. I just gave it to God. No, 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 no. There's, there's some other things you can do. Let me get some other solutions here. There's this wonderful self-help book that I've been reading. We can fix this. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't, you know, try to change and improve ourselves, but all the pressures will come. Because, again, the world doesn't understand how we operate. We look like crazy to them. We are. We're crazy to them. They don't understand us. Our principles, our value systems are completely contradictory. We believe in completely different things. We embrace weakness. We understand. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a cop-out. You're like, well, I'm just sitting on the sideline. No, it's legitimately you're practicing faith. By saying, I have. I've given it to God. What else am I supposed to do? Will you seek him early? Or will you wait until the house is burning and you're sitting inside of it and saying, you know what? I'm just going to pray now. I've been waiting. But I think I'll pray now. Why are we waiting till the house is on fire to get a hold of God. 
the music could come. I will seek you early. I will seek you early. I will invite you to my problems. I will invite you to my temptations. I will invite you to my brokenness. I will bring you to my messed up relationships, my terrible family. Well, my family's not terrible. We have those broken relationships. I just invite you, God. I realize I don't have all power. I wish I had all power. But I know I will humble myself and invite you in and say, okay, God, I give up. I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of trying to fix this on my own. And all my solutions don't work. It makes sense at the time. It makes complete sense in my mind. But they all fall apart. And there's Jesus sitting on the sideline, just waiting. Whenever you're ready, I'm right here. See, he never said, I'm going to abandon you. While he is near, get a hold of him. He just sits on the sideline. When you're ready, the world hasn't broken you down enough. I'll just sit on the sideline and wait to see what happens. You're still trying to do this on your own. You still think you've got this figured out. Okay, I'll just, I'll just wait. I'll just wait until everything just continues to fall apart. And then you'll recognize, I need my Father. I need my Jesus. Because I cannot do this on my own. Well, you look weak. That's because I am weak. You look like you're broken. That's because I am broken. You look evil. That's because I am evil. My intentions are not good. I'm aware of my intentions. Some of you are not, but I am. I know what I'm capable of. I'm not that great. Trust me. I'm not that pretty. Folks, I am not. I'm a broken man. And I need God in my life. If we could stand. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I read a commentary. And uh, it says, God can bestow in the spirit. And Luke is talking about the last passage we read. Wants it to be seen that God's parental bounty applies not just to everyday needs. Already well represented in the text in the Lord's Prayer. But even reaches so far as to his greatest possible gift in being filled with his spirit. I think that's kind of the, the Holy Ghost too, isn't it? You just kind of have to just give up control. <laughs> I'm not a control freak. I'm not bossy. I'm not a loudmouth bossy person. I'm sorry, folks. But your loudmouth does not mean you're bossy. The quietest people some of the most strong-willed people I've ever met in my life. The 
roots go deep. Will you invite him? Will you seek him early? Will we train our minds that when problems comes, we just don't run around. We'll just say, I'm going to slow down and I'm going to get a hold of God right now. God, I need you right now, Jesus. God, I need you right now. God, If I feel like I'm screaming inside. I got to put this together and put that together. And Lord, it just seems like everything's just kind of falling apart. But I know, Lord, I, I need you. God, that you would call my mind and let me see things from your perspective. God, I know you'll give me the solution. You'll tell me what to do. I just have to listen. And God, you will speak. Because if I seek, I will find. If I knock, you will open up the door. If I ask, you will answer. That's the promise. That's what I read in the scriptures. He'll talk to you. You might not like the answer, but he's talking. Are you seeking? Or better yet, do you like the answer? Hallelujah, hallelujah. These altars are open. If you need to come get a hold of God, I invite you. If you're willing to embrace weakness, I invite you. Hallelujah, 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 Jesus.